here. It's time for some cereal. Where's my cereal? Okay, this looks good. Oh wait, actually, actually post. Making breakfast! Lakers lost by 40 points. We need Kobe back. Conversations is so boring. <laughs> Lifting boxes, too much work on Saturday. Ready to go out, selfie. Oh, that one's not good. Take two. There we go, now I'm ready to go out. Copy my style. you with water for repentance. Pear. Fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Sweet. Hmm. Sriracha. Hot chili sauce. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. Sweet. Because you listened to your wife and ate of the fruit of the tree. Tweet. Alright, it's from Tony. I'm gonna go out to dinner tonight. Sin. Uh, okay, you finally are 
for these posts about the Bible? I got, a, I got a post for you, Danny. Huh? How about humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, Danny? <laughs> Michelle getting another girl fight on Facebook. What will she learn? Nobody cares. Let's see what's on Facebook. Christmas tree. No, I get it. I get it. It's Christmas. I understand. Yeah, no. Everyone has a freaking Christmas tree. Welcome everybody to the first, uh, the first, yeah, to the first message here in the hashtag refriending series. And if you didn't understand anything that was just in that video, you're probably a little bit out of touch with society today. But that's okay because I didn't understand most of that stuff until a week ago either. What we are doing here is we are starting a series today called refriending, which I believe personally. This series has the power to change people's lives and destinies forever. Like we always say that here at The Well, we're an ordinary place where extraordinary things happen. And I truly believe that about this series, and that's why I'm happy that you're here. And the reason why I believe that is because I believe that when it comes to the relational component of life today, that the vast majority of people in the world today are living unfulfilled lives relationally. That when it comes to many aspects of our life, we may feel like we got it under control and we're happy and we're content with where it is. But the vast majority of the people living today that are gathered in this room here, if I go deep inside their heart now and ask them to be honest about their relational lives, a lot of us would say that we're not fulfilled, that we're empty, that we feel like there's a void, that we're alone or that we're lonely. And if that's the way that you're feeling, that there's something lacking in your life, then you're in the right place. Because I believe that the way we are living relationally today is not in any way, I should say not for everyone, but for the world in general, is not in any way the way God designed it to be. If you were to say, you go inside and say, I feel that something's not right in my relationship, I feel alone, I feel lacking, then you're in a good place because you're not alone. Because if you go very back to the very, very, very beginning of the Bible, after God created all the world and all the universe and all the stars and all the heavens and all the everything, and then he created Adam, and there was no problems in the world. There's no traffic. There's no taxes. There's no bad weather. Everything was perfect. But God said, when he looked at Adam, he said, something's not right. Genesis 2.18, it says, The Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Many of us, this is our reality today, and we, our hearts are crying out the same thing. That it's not a matter of we're not surrounded by people all around us. It's not a matter that we don't have access to people. We have access to people more than we wish we had access to people. Everywhere we go, we're surrounded by people. We hear from people. We can communicate with people everywhere we go. But that doesn't change the fact that many of us, if you go deep inside, would say that I feel alone and that is not good. 
I'm not talking about single people or married people. I'm not talking about young people or old people. I'm not talking about church people or non-church people. Believe me, you can have married people who feel more lonely than, than non-married people. You can have church people who are part of a community who feel just as alone as people who don't have a community. It's not a matter of any of those factors. It's a matter of whether or not we have depth and authenticity in the relationships that are around us in life. This series, the goal of this series is to get our relationships back on track. It's to get our relationships at a place where God wants them to be because you and I both know that the one aspect of our life that contributes to our satisfaction and our happiness more than anything else is our relations. And if our relationships are good, then even if other stuff isn't, we would say we're happy. And if our relationships are bad, even if everything else is going good, then we would say we're not happy, we're not content, something isn't right. That's why it's important that we focus on this. Here's our key thought for this series. It's going to carry us through the next few weeks and a verse to support it. The key thought for us is, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. Show me how you spend your relational energy. Like, view it this way. You and your, like you have career, and you have a certain amount of energy, and how do you invest that energy? You have money, how do you invest in money? How do you deal with that realm? Well, there's a whole realm of life called relationships. And show me how you choose to invest in that area who you choose to invest in, and how you choose to invest, and who from that area is investing in you. Show me your relational life, and I will show you your future. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. <clears throat> show me your relationships. You're a married person. You're a married man. Show me your married people friends. If they all have good marriages, striving to be better husbands, I bet you, you will find yourself striving to have a good marriage as well. Show me you're a young person. You hang out with all people who are in, who are, are struggling financially, and they blow their money here and there, and a weekend in Vegas is not a big deal, and they flush money down the toilet, and this is your group of friends, then I will bet you that you're probably going to spend a lot of your money in foolish ways as well. Because you walk with the wise, you become wise. You walk with fools, and you suffer harm. Works in every aspect of life. Said another way, something someone told me a long time ago, if you want to soar with the eagles, you can't run with the turkeys. You want to soar with the eagles, you can't run with the turkeys. How do you spend your relational energy? How do you invest in relationships? Online, look cool, selfie, or do you invest in meaningful, fulfilling, and satisfying relationships in life? Show me your friends, and I will show you your future. I look at my own life, and I have the advantage that a lot of other people don't have because I get to talk to a lot of people. And a lot of times, I will see, like God has blessed me with a lot of things in life, and I can't ever stop thanking God. And I can attribute, I can look back, especially when I see with others, that a majority of the good things that I have in life, I can directly connect it to good relationships that God gave me of people who invested in me or I invested in them. And through this relationship, I am what I am. Whether it's my parents, whether it's mentors that I had who taught me a lot, or just friendships that I had to support me. And then when I sit with people that I see lacking a lot of those things, nine out of ten times, 
What I had, they're lacking, and that's why they're lacking. It's not that I'm any better than them, but maybe I had a relationship that they didn't have, and that lack of relationship will affect you in ways that you may not even realize, but is affecting your life and will affect your future. So here is where we're going with the series. I like at the beginning, kind of give you the roadmap, all right, and then we'll kind of break it down. We're doing a four-part series, starting today with what I'm calling the lost art of friendship, defining, or I should say, redefining what does friendship mean, especially what the, the what keep saying, what you'll see up on the screen, is redefining is having real relationships in a virtual world. That's what we'll talk about today. Next week, we're going to talk about the message called, What's a Friend Worth? And we're going to talk about the value of a friend. Because the Bible puts a lot of emphasis on this word, friend, especially if you look in the book of Proverbs. And it says the value of someone or something or some entity called a friend. And we're going to see how having just one friend, that one, if the right friend, can change your life and change your future forever. If you have the right friend. And we're going to learn how to invest and choose that we, the kinds of friendships that we need and that one friend could change our life. The week after, third week, we're going to talk about finding community. And what does the word community mean? You go into any church today, and they'll talk about community, community, community. And everybody's got a different definition of what that means. And we're going to talk about what it means and how to find it. Community is more than one, but less than this. A church is not community. A church is not community. A church can provide avenues to find community, but community is in between one and the greater size. We'll get to that in week three. And then the final week, week four, we're going to call unfriending. Because you, like me, know in life, we're going to love everybody like Jesus taught us to love. And, it's, and never, nothing's going to contradict that. But you, like me, know that there's certain relationships in life that you need to click the unfriend button to. Why? Because like I said, you show me your friends, and I will show you your future. That's where we're going in this series. Let's start today with the lost art of friendship. Everybody pull out your pen and pull out your handout. List for me your closest friends on your handout. Don't think about it. Go. Your closest friends. I want to see people writing. Go. Don't think about it. Don't, don't. Let me give you some ground rules here as you're writing. Don't include your spouse. I'm not talking about your spouse. Okay? That's a different series. That's a four-part series just dealing with your spouse. That's four parts in and of itself. Okay, we're not talking about spouse. Leave that one aside. Don't include your pet, please. Dog doesn't count. Scruffy may be the best guy in the whole wide world. Only human beings that we're talking about here. No imaginary friends, okay? No, nothing like that. Don't include your family just because they're family. Like, they may be your friend, but just because, don't feel like, well, I have to put my brother, I have to put my sister, I have to put my mom. If they are, then put them. But if they're not, don't put them and just don't show them your paper, okay? List for me your closest friends. People that you can call on a random Friday night when you got nothing to do and you just want to hang out and there's no fear of rejection. They can come over and, and, and you can be in your PJs and they can be in their PJs and y'all can just kick back and there's no awkwardness. People that you know you got a, a piece of furniture that you need to move and you know people that you can ask to help you move stuff. People you know that you need a ride to the airport, and you know it's not like, oh, he's counting fake. Like, people that are your closest friends. List it there on your paper. Everybody got some names? You know what statistics and sociologists and their studies say? Look at your list of close friends. Sociologists say that you 
are the average of your five closest friends. I don't know how they figured this out. You are the average. Financially, that group of five people that you listed, look at them financially. Statistics say you are probably not the richest, nor are you the poorest, usually in the middle of the pack. You're a parent, and you got other parents on that list, most likely you are not the world's greatest dad of the five, but you're probably not bringing up the rear and the caboose either. You probably find yourself somewhere in the middle. Socially, look at the group that you put down there. Most likely, if you put a group down, the same social characteristics that they have, you find yourself in the middle. That it's unlikely that you're gonna list four people who are party hardy till they can't stop, and then you find yourself as like to stay in on Friday nights. Unlikely. You are the average of your five closest friends, is what sociologists tell us today. That means that whether we like it or not, our moms were right, but don't tell them. Who we hang out with does make a difference. And the friends that we choose will affect our lives. And you remember how our moms used to always say, you will become like your friends. Well, sociologists say that, this, that exactly is true. So now look at your list again. And now look at that list and say, do I want to be like that? This list of names. Do I want to have the same marriage as these people do? Do I want to have the same career outlook as these people do? Do I want to have the same spiritual outlook, same relationship with God as this group right here? Do I want to even be in the same physical shape? Like even you notice like, like physically, you're not going to have people who care about their physical and then someone, like, do I want, do I fit in that circle? This series is going to beg us to answer an important question, which I'll be honest, we don't know. We've totally destroyed this question. What is a friend? We have destroyed the answer to this question. When I was a kid, the word friend meant something different than it means today our Facebook generation. Just like, I always joke with the young people today, just like the word talking means something different to me when I was a kid as it means to people today. Because I know people today that'll say, yeah, I talked to my cousin in Australia. I say, oh, you know, uh, what did he say, this and that. And it turns out young people can talk to each other without ever opening their mouth. True or false? Young people talk to each other without ever opening their mouth. Well, also, apparently, you can be a friend with somebody that you don't even like. True or false? Let's see what the Bible has to say about friendship. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. And I, I chose a specific version of the Bible to bring this one. It's the FBV version of the Bible. It says this. It says, a friend is someone that you may or may not know who accepts your friend requests. The primary duty of a friend is to like and to comment on your posts and to make you feel good about yourself and your life, no matter how pathetic it may actually be. That's from the FBV, the Facebook version of the Bible. Let's see what the real Bible has to say, because it has something slightly a little bit different. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I just want to take a minute and stop on this verse. And I want everyone to dream with me of a magical faraway galaxy where we actually had friends like this. A friend to love us at all times. 
What would your life look like? What would be the impact on your life if you had a friend, two friends, three friends, that loved you at all times? And I'm not just saying like you had a friend for a season like this. I'm talking about 10 years down the road, you have had a close friendship with a person or a group or a couple or whatever where you can say that we really love each other at all times. When we're up, we rejoice together. And when we're happy, we love to celebrate. And when we're down, we're there for each other. Like I said, someone needs to move, we're all there carrying furniture. Someone needs to arrive from the airport, we're jumping to see who could pick that person up. That person's kids and my kids become best friends with each other. And they start to hang out and they become friends. Our spouses become friends. I discipline your kids, you discipline my kids because I love yours just as you much as you love mine and vice versa. And we have a friend like that. A friend, let's go even further. A friend that I'm never afraid will reject me. That I can say whatever I want, and I'm not trying to sugarcoat it or try to kind of make it nice because I don't know what they're going to think about me. And I can tell them when I'm frustrated, say, I am frustrated. And when I'm alone and I'm lonely, I say, hey, I'm lonely. I just need somebody to come hang out with me. And even further, a friend that I can be 100% honest about how I feel about them, and they can be honest about how they feel about me. And it doesn't affect our friendship. Imagine what that would do to your life. Would that impact your life? Would your marriage look the same? Would your career look the same? Would your self-esteem, would your spiritual life look the same? I have a feeling that every one of us, like me, has a deep, deep, deep desire to be 100% transparent in relationships and no fear in it. And that's what this verse says. A friend loves at all times. That's where we need to try to get to. But unfortunately for us, studies today say that that's a fairy tale. What I just said doesn't exist. There's a company called Lifeboat who did a survey called The State of Friendship in America in 2013. And their study revealed this. 75%, I don't know if y'all can see it well, 75% of Americans today, or 2013, which is today, are not satisfied with their friendships. That means three out of every four people would raise their hand and say, I'm not content, I'm not happy with the state of my friendships. Further, it says 63% of Americans are not confident in their friendships. Now you say, what does confident mean? Confident means this, they ask people a whole bunch of questions, and that means that they don't believe they gave a list of things, that their friends would bail them out of jail, lend them $500, or donate a kidney if they needed it. The kidney one seems like a bit much, but okay. But 63% of people said that the friends that I have, I'm not confident that they're really there for me, and that if I was in jail, that they'd bail me out. Or if I needed a kidney, that they would offer one of theirs, assuming they have another one that works. More... Sad statistics, the average American today has two close friends. Two close friends. And I bet you if I go on your little piece of paper, which I won't, but I bet you if I go on your little piece of paper, you may got one, you may have got two, but I bet you struggle to get three and four. And I bet you a lot of your papers don't even have three and four, and some of you might not even have two. Am I right? This is a sad statistic. You know why? Because the average American today has two close friends. You know, back in 1990, when I was growing up, the average American had six close friends. That's less than 25 years ago. We have lost two-thirds of our friendships in 25 years. 
Keep going. 25% of Americans today say they don't have a single close friend. One out of every, one out of every four people says, I don't have a single close friend in my life. Something's wrong, people. This isn't right. I'm not saying I have a magic button solution for it. I'm not saying that we can, we can click a, flick, flick a switch and change all of it. But I'm saying we must agree this is not how God envisioned it. This is not how God wanted it. We are living much more closer to it is not good that man is in this state than we are to the way it's supposed to be. Before we get to how to solve it, which we'll talk about over the coming weeks, let's look at how did we end up in this situation. What happened to cause this? Now, the easy thing to say is say it's all Facebook's fault. That's the easy thing to say, but I think that's a cop-out, and that's being overly simplistic because we started to see this decline in friendship before Facebook grew to what it is today. I came up with three reasons. You can agree or disagree with me. It doesn't really matter. I say the number one is increasing work hours. And you agree with me that I remember when I was a kid, my dad was very successful in life and he had a very good career. Man, he went to work at eight. He was home at five. That's it. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't 10 hour days. It wasn't 10 hour days plus two hours of traffic like it is today. Today it's very common for people to spend 11, 12 hours a day away from home doing work. Or even worse, God forbid, 12 hours a day at home doing work. It's very common. Why? Because we have chosen to invest in careers and what's suffered is relationships. Second thing, kind of going along with the same point, I would say it's the transient nature of the world we live in, especially in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. Average person in this area moves to a new home every five years. Every five years. Average person in this area moves to a new job every three and a half years. Look, moving to a new place, moving to a new job may be very good for your career, but it is very bad for your relationships because it does not allow you to invest deeply. And you have in your mind, just like everyone else has in their mind, hey, why should I invest in this relationship? It's probably going to be gone in a couple years. I'm going to open up my heart to this person. Next thing I know, she's going to be at another company. So what we do is we play it cool, and the transient nature of our world keeps us at arm's length with the world around us. Again, good for careers, bad for relationships. And then number three, I'm not saying it's the only reason, but we'd be fools to negate the impact of the explosion of social media that is in the world around us. Now let me disclaimer right off the bat, I am not against social media. I'm not going to stand up here and say that social media is the cause of all the problems and technology is bad and it's from the devil and throw your computers out the window. I'm not going to say that. I myself, I don't have Facebook. I never have had Facebook, okay? I don't really get it very much, but I have Twitter, okay? And I enjoy tweeting every now and then and playing around on Twitter. And I see, personally, a lot of value from technology and online and social media. And in fact, just the other day, for those who follow me on Twitter, I tweeted about it, okay? Just last week or two weeks ago, I'm sitting in a Starbucks, minding my own business, okay? Just ordered my water and got nothing else, okay? I'm just waiting to meet somebody. And a lady came out of nowhere and said, excuse me, are you Father Anthony? And I was kind of take. I thought she was going to tell me to order something, okay? Because it was crowded and I'm just sitting at the table. And I said, yes. And she said, you don't know me. My name is, and I forgot her name to be honest. My name is so-and-so. Uh, I watch your sermons online. You changed my life. So I'm the first one to say I see a lot of value in technology. I see a lot of value in, in what can be done with Facebook and Twitter and social media and websites and all that kind of stuff. So don't think that I'm coming attacking saying that I'm old school or I'm, I'm out of touch. I'm not saying it like that. But what I am saying is we have to control it, not it control us. And the world that we live in, 
Social media, for a lot of us, has taken control of our lives. And we've become more concerned about our, forgive me here, I'm going to say something, don't throw stuff at me. We've become more concerned about our online image than about the reality of our lives. Forgive me. We are more concerned with how we look online than the reality of our lives. For example, when I was growing up, it is unlikely, let's say I have a cousin in Australia, it is unlikely that I would go to breakfast and discover that IHOP has the pumpkin pancakes are back, and it is unlikely that I would say, hold on, that I would pick up my phone and I would call him and say, you'll never guess what I'm having for breakfast. I'm going to take a picture, develop it, and send it to you in the mail so you can see the pumpkin pancakes are back at IOP. Unlikely that we would do something like that. Yet today, in today's world, people think nothing of it. OMG, IHOP has pumpkin pancakes. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Hashtag blessed. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. And anytime we're going to do something, we want to make sure that we are not going to do it. We're going to let everybody know that we did it. We become obsessed with what we look like. And forgive me, all of us are trying to create the same online persona. What is that persona? All of us are trying to show the world that we are happy. That we are happy. You know why? Because everybody else in my Twitter feed is happy. So I don't want to be the only one who's not happy. You know what, what statistics or studies say? That when you post something on, on Facebook or Twitter, that your self-esteem, your feeling about your self-worth goes up this much every time you post something. But you know what it also says? Every time you read someone else's post, your self-worth goes down this much. And we feel a little bit good about ourselves because we posted. But then we see everyone else posting, and they got smiles, and they're all happy, and they're doing this. So what we try to do is I say, I got to be like that. So we try to create a moment. We create it. We craft a 140-character char statement about some moment in time, and we take a picture, okay, and like, like in the, take it from a different light. And then if we don't like it, we, you know, play with the filters. We still say, hashtag no filter, but we play with the filters. And we create a moment in time. And then what do we do? We click post. And then we feel good? No, we don't feel good yet. Then becomes the waiting game. What am I waiting for? Likes. Likes. Come on, someone. Someone like it. Yes, seven likes in five minutes. Yes. And we pretend like we don't check. I and mean, we don't care. But we are glued to that bad boy until we see people liking us. Why? Because it validates it. It says yes. Your life is good. Yes, you are happy. You, are, you do have a good life. We become more concerned with how we appear online than the true reality of how our lives are. What we have done with social media and online is we have replaced depth for coolness. We have replaced authenticity with superficiality. We have chosen that instead of having 
real relationships with people and investing in them, which takes time. It takes time to invest in one, two, three people. It is much quicker to broadcast to the masses and to accumulate as many friends or followers or likers or whatever it may be. We traded quantity. I'm sorry, we traded quality for quantity. And in the end, we're the ones who are suffering from it. What I want to do now, in the time remaining, is I just want to talk about two characteristics. Just two. I could have talked about 50. But I want to just get two characteristics. What I'm saying is the lost art of friendship. Two things that we need to remember about real friendships. And remember these two characteristics and invest in these two characteristics to save us from the social media vortex that has encompassed us and that has taken over our lives. Two things. Number one, friendships develop face-to-face, -face, not thumb-to-thumb. -thumb. And not belly-to-belly, -belly, if you remember the series in the past, okay? That's a different kind of relationship, not the friendship kind, okay? Friendships develop face-to-face. -face. If you were here for a marriage series a while ago, that was pretty funny. Okay, if you weren't, you don't know what I'm talking about, but if you were, that was funny. Friendships develop face-to-face, -face, not thumb-to-thumb. Or if you're a index finger kind of a guy, like not computer screen to computer screen, but face to face. Parents, listen up to this, what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you a scary fact, and this is a fact. Parents, did you know that children today, children today are more dissatisfied with their parents' obsession with their phones and their computers than parents are with children? That's a fact. We say that again, that if you go to all the children and all the parents, who is the one complaining that the other is connected to their iPhone and connected to their Facebook? It is not parents. We always think that the parents are complaining about the kids. Well, studies these days say that it's the kids that are more dissatisfied with the parents. Why? Because I want mommy's attention or I want daddy's attention, but she's on Pinterest finding the latest and greatest recipe of banana bread that's going to save the universe. It's the kids today that are complaining about us, the adults. And that's a scary, scary, scary fact. Think about how many times you go to a restaurant or out to whatever kind of place you go to, and you see exactly like you see up on the screen, a group of people, and the majority of them sitting on their phones, texting, for all we know, texting each other, for all we know. I'm going to tell you a true story, and I'm going to tell you this true story. If I didn't see it with my own eyes, I would say you're making this up. I saw it with my own eyes. And I wrote about this in my blog a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, I was at Dulles Airport, and I was waiting for my flight. And because I am the worst luck charm on any airplane, 100% of my flights get delayed 100% of the time. I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting here, and I got, I'm prepared. I got my laptop. I'm ready to work. And then there's three young ladies next to me. I'm going to just guess, 19 years old, 20 years old, something like that. And they're sitting there facing this way, and I'm facing this way. So I can see them at the corner of my eye, but I'm still working. I can do that simultaneously. I'm always investigating what's going on. I'm always, okay? It's because I, I always think I'm in the movie Die Hard at all times. I'm always. <laughs> so I'm watching them, and they say the plane is late. So we end up spending about 50 to 55 minutes there in that airport. I'm telling you, in front of God, they spent the entire time, the entire time on their phones talking to each other on their phones, meaning like this, 
Oh my goodness, I can't believe this happened. Did you know this and this? And, and can you believe this? I can't, look what he put the entire time. And they put the phone down the whole time, but they're talking the whole time. And I'm like, are they, are they talking to each other? Like, I don't know what's going on. It's been the entire time, this, 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 and this, and reading someone else's and maybe liking or disliking. I, I don't know what, if there's a dislike button or what. They're doing everything the entire time, talking to each other. And I want to go crazy. And I want to rip the phones out their hands and throw them out the window and say, talk to each other. Be normal. But this is, this, this is not unnormal or abnormal for people today. Look what the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Those who were here during the liturgy this morning, we read this passage. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's what our gathering should be. Not OMG, and I can't believe our gatherings together should be stirring up love, should be encouraging one another to do good things. Like it should be positive, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more, so much the more as you see the day approaching. This verse says that we should not forsake assembling ourselves together. Well, I think that when the writer of this verse was writing these words, that there's a part that he left out because he didn't realize the world that we live in today. That assembling ourselves doesn't just mean physically, but it means emotionally as well. That we do not just want to be physically present with one another as those three girls were. We want to be emotionally present with one another. We want to be focused with one another. Compare that story of the three girls with another story that I just heard recently, a group of people, young people who told me when they go out to dinner or whenever they go to a gathering, first thing they do is they take all their phones and they put them in the middle. They put all their phones face down. And then they have like some kind of bet. Like whoever touches theirs first has to pay for everyone's, or something like that. I don't know what it is. But the point is, is those young people will spend 30, 40, 50 minutes together with their phones down. And I guarantee you that 30 minutes is more quality than, in, than four hours of this, 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 and this. Would you agree or disagree? We've sacrificed quality for the sake of quantity, and it's killing us. I'll give you another verse. Colossians 3.23 is the verse that I always think of when it comes to what I'm doing at the moment. Whatever you do, do it heartily. Ask to the Lord, not to men. Look, if you don't want to go out with someone, don't go out with someone. But if you're going to go out with that person, be invested in that person. I'm telling you, be 30 minutes invested is better than being three hours uninvested. My wife and I learned this lesson, that she helps me with this because I'm distracted easily. When we go out to dinner, okay, the phone, phone doesn't distract me. Okay, just so you know, okay, the phone doesn't distract me. And you know, and I would ask you, and you call me out on this if you think I'm wrong, that how many times am I talking to you face-to-face -face and you see me do this? Answer, never. I never do. I'll never interrupt a person face-to-face -face for someone on the phone. And you may be the phone person and you hate my guts and you're annoyed at me. But I guarantee you, if you're standing in front of me, you appreciate it. Because the person in front of me is more important than the person on the phone. The person on the phone can wait. The person in front of me is in front of me. They deserve my attention. And I believe that if I'm in front of you, I deserve your attention. And if you don't go and give me your attention, don't stand in front of me. My wife and I learned this lesson. Now, phone's not a problem for us. But for me, when there's TV and sports, that's very difficult for me not to watch. So we go into a restaurant. She quickly... She finds where the TV is, and she positions herself in front of it with me to my back. And I appreciate that because she knows that oftentimes if I can see the TV that it's, and I'm struggling because I can't, and I can't be there. So whatever it takes 
to be present, not just physically, to be present emotionally. Put the phone down, turn the TV off, turn the music off. Be, be, be present physically as well as emotionally. Whatever it is can wait till you finish. Friendships, face-to-face, -face, not thumb-to-thumb. -thumb. Number two, friendships require vulnerability. Now, I know I just said a bad word, vulnerability. Especially if you're a guy, I said a bad word. You hate vulnerability just as much as I do. We connect vulnerability with weakness. And we really connect it with being out of control. And we hate that. Did you know, young people, you can attest to me on this one. You can back me up on this one. That sociologists today are coming up, have found a new phobia in life. A new phobia. And that new phobia is fear of talking on the phone. Y'all know this fear of talking on the phone thing, right? That someone calls, and it's ringing, and the anxiety level goes up, and you don't know what to do, so you just leave it, and you respond with a text message, right? This isn't something that, that's, that's strange. No one wants to admit it because no one wants to admit that that's what they're doing, but that's what we're doing. We see the phone. We don't want to answer. We're scared. Respond with a text. You be smart. Tell me why. Why are we scared of talking on the phone? Huh? Okay, time. It might, I, I bet you it's not time because if you're honest, okay, a lot of times a 30-second phone call can replace a three-minute texting back and forth. So if you calculate the time, it's not necessarily, we may think it's time, but it's not time. You know what I believe it is? I believe it's lack of control. When I'm texting, I'm in control. I see this person's number appear on my screen. Um, I don't want to deal with him now. I'll deal with him later. And then I start to write my response in. I don't like my response. I'll leave it to later. And then I come back and I show it to my wife. Is this a good response? You know, uh, I'll edit it and I'll re-edit it. And then eventually when I'm done, I'll hit send. I'm in full control. You may fire back. I'll respond when I want to respond. I'm in control. What happens when I pick up the phone? I say, hello. I don't know where you're going. I don't know where you want to take this conversation. Because of that, I'm afraid. Easy thing for me to do is just back up. We have become, is it okay if I do a little rant right now from an old person's perspective? Okay. Old people will appreciate my rant. Okay. We don't know how to use the phone anymore. We don't know how to use the phone anymore. Let me give you a little phone etiquette, people, from growing up in the 1980s. Okay. First thing you do, someone calls, okay. You call someone else. The first thing you do is, I know people laugh at me to this day, and they, every time I call, I do this, everyone laughs at me. But this is the way I was taught to call. You call, and you say, hello, my name is. I know people don't do that anymore, but I still call and say, hello, this is Father Anthony. And the person on the other side always says, I know. And I'm like, I know you know, but you may not know. And maybe there's someone out there that doesn't know. I say who I am. I can't tell you how many times people call me on the phone. I have no idea who they are because they don't explain. And then eventually I'll, they'll say, hey, it's Mark. I'm like, okay, I know about 15,000 Marks. Explain who it is you are. Don't assume I have your number in my caller ID because I may not have your number. Old people, you all agree with me? You answer and you say who it is that you are. Second thing you do, young people should be writing these things down, okay? Second thing after you do, after you say your name, you ask this question. Hey, is it a good time to talk? You don't assume 
that just because the person answered that they have 15 minutes, and then that's two, and then 2A would be you state your intentions. Hey, just call in the chat. Or hey, quick question. Or hey, just wanted to know. But sometimes I'm thinking your quick question, and you're thinking we're chatting, and we are, it's not a good situation. And then number three, and most important, and forgive me, we don't know how to end phone calls anymore. We don't know how to end them. And I can't tell you the number of conversations. You call me, and I'm not trying to communicate with you. You're communicating with me. Like, you called me. I didn't call you. You have to end it. I can't end it. You have to end it. Because I don't know if you're done or not. Because you didn't state your intentions up front. I don't know. You need to say, thanks so much. Appreciate it. That's it for my rant. I'm sorry. Old people, y'all agree with me on this one, right? It's not just me. We don't know how to talk on the phone. We know how to post. We know how to tweet. We know how to comment. We don't know how to talk anymore. And the main reason we don't know how to talk is because we are scared of this. We're scared of vulnerability. We're scared of being open. We're scared of being transparent with who it is that we are. Let me show you what the Bible has to say. James 5.16 says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I'm not talking about confession here, so don't take the conversation that way. What I'm talking about, what this verse says to me, is about a lifestyle and a mentality towards our relationships with one another. That the relationships that we have should be one where we're not afraid to confess. We're not afraid to pray for one another. What that means is there's depth, there's openness, that I can come to you and I can say to you, I'm having the most miserable day in the whole wide world. And you don't judge me. You're not going to gossip about me. You're not going to post it and broadcast it all over the world. Just saw Father Anthony in bad mood, unblessed or whatever. You're not going to do something like that. You're going to support me. You're going to say that's okay. And then you yourself are going to be transparent with me. Think again what life would look like if we didn't have to worry about letting our guards down. Again, remember that magical la-la land that I told you where friends exist? Imagine that you lived on that planet, and you could go to friends, and you could say, you know what? My career is in the toilet, and I feel about this big. You can't post that on Facebook. No one ever posts the bad days on Facebook. No one ever says, I, I can't, my career's in the toilet on Facebook. Imagine you can go to a friend and say, you know what, me and my wife, we're struggling. And I'm just coming to you that you can pray for me. You can help me. And you can help me see. Maybe it's me. Imagine you had a friend that you can go to and just say, you know what? This is how I'm feeling. I act this way, but that's not really me. And inside, I'm torn up about it. And I'm not going to confess it to the whole wide world, but you are my friend, and I want to be open with you. You think your life would look the same? You think this church would look the same? your family would look the same? You may want to write this one down. We impress with our strengths, but we connect through our weaknesses. Online is all about impressing. We post our strengths. It is not about connecting. You never post your weaknesses. We connect. I'm sorry, we impress through our strengths, we connect through our weaknesses. 
what would life look like? All of our online personas of happy, perfect lives. We just drop them. And we were real with one another. You know who taught us that friendship requires vulnerability? Jesus was that way. Jesus with his disciples. He lived with them. He was open with them. He was face-to-face with them. He was present with them. And this is what he said at the very end of his life. The final words, final speech to his disciples. He said, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing. I call you friends. Why? Because all things that I heard from my father I've made known to you. I didn't hold anything back from you. Anything that I had, I gave it up for you. I shared my deepest. I shared anything that was inside of me. I opened my life up to you 100%, and I allowed you to come in. And some of you are going to hurt me. Some of you entered my life like Judas, and you betrayed me. But that did not stop me from opening myself up to experience real friendship with the rest of you guys. You know what Jesus did? few verses or before this when he said this he said as I loved you you go love one another the same way I was your friend and I was vulnerable with you y'all go be vulnerable with one another I want to finish by a quote from C.S. Lewis talks about being vulnerable in our friendships it's kind of a long quote so stick with me here It says, love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung, possibly even broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap your heart carefully around with hobbies, luxuries, avoid all entanglements, lock it up safe in the coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, and motionless, and airless, it will not be broken. It will change and become unbreakable. It will become impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all dangers and disturbances of love is hell. Y'all get what he's saying? We take our hearts, we take our inside, and we wrap it. We cover it so no one can get through it. We say, look... We protected it so no one can hurt it. You fool. You protected you protect it so no one can love it. If we want depth in our relationships, we got to throw away the world's definition of friendship. We're throwing that sucker out the window. And we are going to God. And we say, God, we need a biblical, we need a godly way of looking at friendship. We are going to open our hearts up. We are going to be present. We are going to be investing. We're not going to be fooled by someone giving me quantity and taking my quality. We're not going to be fooled by that anymore. We're not going to be fooled by someone giving me a whole bunch of Monopoly money, millions and millions of Monopoly money, and stealing my real money out my pocket. That's what the world has done to us today. It has stolen real friendships from us and said, no, don't worry, it's just a few. But look at all these friends that you have. And it didn't tell us that it's Monopoly money and we lost the real money. We're not going to do that anymore. We're going to be investing face-to-face. And what we are going to do in those face-to-face, we are going to open up. Not all at once, all right? But we are going to invest depth and quality, not be fooled by quantity. It won't be easy, but I promise you, 
I said in the beginning, this series, I promise you, the one aspect of your life that's going to affect you in ways that you will never understand is your relational life, your friendships. So if we can get this area under control, then I promise you, God can change the future of your life. Your trajectory of your life can change completely if you get this relational component of your life in a godly manner. All right, let's stand for a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for loving us and calling us your friends and choosing not to withhold anything from us. Lord, we don't want to be lonely. We don't want to be just, just, just appearing to be cool and appearing to be happy. But we desire something deeper. And all of us together are saying that we, we reject the world's way of telling us what friendship should look like. We reject that, Lord. And we invite you to come change our view, change our mindset towards friendship. Help us, Lord, to put down our phones and to put down all the, the, the things that are distracting us from investing in real relationships. Help us to have quality in our relationships with one another, Lord, and to find a true friend that can really change the trajectory of our life forever. We thank you for this time. I pray for everyone who came here today, especially those who are here for the first time. I pray you would bless them in a special way and that you would show them that you are with them and that you are their best friend and they can be your best friend for all of eternity if they choose to. Pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all very much. Have a great week. Hopefully I'll see you back next week. Can't catch a break. You've had your fill of old cliches.